0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Daniel Callen, my colleague at Lions 24-7, could be hopping on with us in just a moment. Uh, we've got a lot to look at here. We're, we're fresh out of a great event that took place on Penn State's practice field on Wednesday afternoon. We were fortunate to, to get out there and uh, kind of uh, regroup with a huge, uh, significant portion of the roster, the class of 2021. Um, not a large class overall, but but as things have gone on. Uh, Their importance, pretty vital for what Penn State wants to do with their 2022 plan. Several guys who are jockeying for starting positions, others who are emerging as risers, and then guys that we just really haven't had a chance to to see much in the last year or so. The way Penn State operates is when they get their players on campus as freshmen enrollees, they're not available to the media during that freshman year. So over the course of of winter conditioning, spring ball uh, last year, preseason camp, the entire season itself – those first-year players were not available to us to speak to the media. And I believe Landon Tengwall, Christian Veiu, their last media, media availability or media appearances may have been on this podcast just a couple of days before they enrolled a couple of winters winners ago. So... Got to to regroup with those guys. Daniel Gallen was out there on the field. We've got some recruiting stuff to get to a little bit later before we sign off. But let's start here. Daniel Gallen hopping on with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And uh, Daniel, beautiful day out there on on the Penn State practice facility, out there in the field, construction underway. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited what's happening over there at LASH Uh, And and we're excited whenever we get a chance to actually get face-to-face with players, young players at that. A lot of these guys, um, many in the media haven't spoken with much of because last time we really saw several of them in a uniform during game days, they were with their high schools. Um, We're going to get to a lot there in a second, but also surfacing just before we headed over to team facilities yesterday. Things are now set in stone for that Auburn matchup as Penn State heads on the road week three in September.
1: Yeah, Penn State-Auburn is going to get that uh, coveted uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern slot on CBS, uh, 2.30 p.m. Central Time, which I'm sure at Jordan-Hare Stadium in in Auburn, Alabama in mid-September, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a a hot day, a a little soupy out there, but um, 3.30 p.m. on CBS, um, I think that it's a game that a lot of people have excitement for, and I think that this kind of adds another element to it. Um, getting that yeah. nationally televised slot, it's going to be plenty of eyes uh, on, on that game. And I think in
0: these marquee non-conference games, that's what you want. I think a couple fan bases that entered this season with a little trepidation. Obviously, the leadership's in a different spot with James Franklin having this long-term contract nailed in and, and uh, down in down in Auburn, it was uh, felt like it might be a one-and-done situation for their coaching staff. But I, I think overall, it's early enough where both fan bases, particularly if Penn State can get through that Purdue matchup on the road, where a little bit of a litmus test outside of the conference, I think, between these two squads last year when they entered the matchup both inside the top 25 relatively early in the season as well. I think there was a lot of hope and neither team ultimately ended the year the way they wanted to. So I think both have a lot to prove. Um, and if someone takes the other to the woodshed uh, that day, it's going to be a really, really rough moment I think for that program because they're going to be creeping towards conference play and having that big blemish on their record in a national spotlight setting on the flip side, Penn state can avoid that kind of a scenario where they suffer that loss and they go able to be able to go pick up a win. They can do so while being projected in a lot of different living rooms, a lot of different eyeballs on that matchup that maybe would normally be inclined to turn on a big 10 game or a Penn state game. So a lot to gain there for the Nittany lions early in the season.
1: Yeah, it feels kind of similar to last year uh, in terms of what this could mean uh, early in the season. Um, Penn state got by Wisconsin earlier uh, to open the season and then was able to back up uh, a big 10 win with, with an sec win and, They'll have the opportunity to do that again here, but of course, as both Auburn and Penn State showed last year, uh, how things look in November can be a lot different than how they look in September. And I think both of these programs are definitely going to be looking at ending uh, their their 2022 seasons a lot
0: differently than 2021 ended. I know you were actually on with the 24-7 Sports Auburn podcast earlier today on a Thursday, talking about that matchup a little bit. It's one that we'll be looking at a lot in the summer months, uh, creeping up towards September. Um, elsewhere, though, of course, we had a lot going on on Wednesday uh, here in Happy Valley, and we're going to dive right into it because it was a chance to, to not just you know get with these guys and get to know them about where they are as players, but I think you saw some personalities shine through. Guys have changed a little bit, maybe from where they were in high school, a little bit more open, more willing to talk about certain things. Not everybody across the board, but let's start out with the freshman who commanded the most attention on campus around this time last year. Kalen King came out of spring ball in 2021, clearly as the ascending guy. He ended up burning his redshirt status, one of only two freshmen to do that. Now he wants to be that starting cornerback opposite of Joey Porter Jr. Uh, what stood out to you as, as you were the guy with the mic? Uh, we, we, we split up duties here, and so we're kind of going to lean on each other for, for, for this segment.
1: Yeah, and I'll say overall, this was a, a really good exercise for me because I, I wasn't on the beat during all these guys' recruitment, so I didn't get the chance to get to know these guys when they were juniors and seniors, and you know, to me, they mostly kind of existed, uh, mostly behind the scenes last year, so it was really good to put some names with the faces, put voices with those names and faces, and I think Kalen King was someone that a lot of people wanted to talk to. I mean, we've been hearing about him for more than a year Um, at this point and this is the first time we got to talk to him uh, wearing a Penn State uniform I think the big thing that stood out to me in talking to him is that uh, it's kind of it dovetails with what Terry Smith talked about uh, earlier this year in terms of of a mature approach that he took Um, and Kalen King talked about that the big thing that he learned over the past year was all of the details kind of mattering and I think that the one thing that stood out to me the the specific example he gave was that
0: when he was in high
1: school and he was playing cornerback he he didn't have to think too much about the the down and distance um, that it was kind of you know you you do the same thing play after play um, I think a little less situational but um, in college football everything is so situational that the. You know the difference of a couple yards can can change a scenario, and I think that he said that was something that he had to learn um, about too. And about midway through last year, he said that he kind of hit his stride; things started to click. Um, like he said, he was one of only two freshmen to burn his redshirt last year, and he was the only freshman to appear in uh, in all thirteen games. So he's someone that I think that he he said that he, you know he his ex, he didn't meet his expectations last year and. His expectations this year are to to win a lot of games uh, and to have fun. But, you know, he did kind of he did say that he wants to start. He wants to have that opportunity. And I think he's in a good position for that.
0: I think even though he did play in 13 games as a freshman because of the the buzz that was generated when James Franklin is publicly stating things the way he was last April about Mm -hmm. Kaelin King and his early progression and kind of how far ahead he was of the curve compared to freshmen going back to 2014 with Franklin here. It really set the stage for people say, OK, he's going to go out and have, what, three, four, five interceptions as a freshman will be over the field. And then you kind of remember, oh, wait, that is a hell of a position group on this roster in 2021. Uh, now it's changed a little bit, but you had Johnny Dixon coming in as a transfer and he was a factor there. And, I, you know, just the fact that Kaelin King was able to, to step up and be that kind of two deep contributor with Daquan Hardy, obviously, up in the slot coverage. Um I think with Kalen King, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's paired up with his brother in the starting lineup because Kobe King was also available. Um, this is a guy who did not burn his red shirt. We thought he would against Arkansas. He had he was at that four game threshold. He was asked about that, which I, I guess you can address here. But I think overall, Kobe King. We heard from Tyler Elston during a media availability in April. Those are the two guys at the forefront to replace Ellis Brooks as the starting Mike linebacker for Penn State.
1: Yeah, the the redshirt conversation was pretty interesting. I know that uh, when we were in in Tampa, that that kind of ruffled some feathers, especially in relation to the opt outs and kind of the the roster situation that that Penn State was in. But um, Kobe King said that he talked about it with James Franklin and um, that, you know, James Franklin came to the decision that it was the the best decision, best choice for Kobe King to to keep that red shirt moving forward. Um, And I think that when you look at that position and being able to keep that year of eligibility in terms of his development, um, I think that's really good for the for the long term. But he's someone that I think that whether he wins that Mike linebacker job uh, over Tyler Elsden, I think that Kobe King is someone that we're going to see a lot of. Um, He said that he played the will last year. So he has kind of the, the versatility and flexibility to play uh, multiple positions in the defense. Um, he said that the transition from Brent Pry to Manny Diaz hasn't been hasn't been too difficult and that I think that he thinks that he'll be able to play a little bit faster um, this year in Manny Diaz's defense and just kind of being a, a second year college player. So, you know, I think that both King King brothers have some some pretty good personalities Um, you know, they, you know, smiling, laughing. And um, I think that you can kind of see last year, um, you know, Kobe King was someone too, that got mentioned as someone who was pretty far along. Um, I think that both of their intangibles were kind of highlighted here and there. And I think that that kind of showed through in that uh, interview setting.
0: Yeah. Credit to those young men, credit to the Cast Tech uh, coaching staff, because uh, they came in, and the, the the word you kept hearing was maturity, and that was the uh, that was the physical approach, that was the mental approach, that was the day to day what it's like at this level of college football and everything that, that entails. Um, it's not just go out and play football and be good at football. Uh, there's a lot that, that if you want to get on the field there at Penn State, there's more that's into it. And they were bought in from the get. And we've heard. I, I'm curious because it was your first time interacting with these guys. One thing we've heard about Kobe in particular, going back to his recruitment, we heard it from Terry Smith on signing day when these guys joined joined the the class officially was that future captain material you got a chance to talk with Kobe King he's got a lot more games to log and tackles to make before he's selected as a team captain but do you pick up on those kind of vibes because you hadn't really interacted with him before
1: yeah definitely I think that there is kind of a a quiet confidence and um, you know a laid-back manner to him um, but not necessarily in a in a passive way Um, I thought that he was very it was laid back in kind of a thoughtful way, um, really considering the questions and kind of, you know, you could see him you know thinking about what he wanted to say as he said it. And, you know, I thought that he kind of delivered um, everything he was trying to say. Um, So I thought that that was that was interesting. And you can you can definitely see kind of the that captain potential there just kind of in in the way that he carries himself. And, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two three, even one, depending on how things go, that that he's someone who in in August we hear uh, getting, getting the captaincy.
0: He was one of two freshman linebackers last year who ended up finishing right on that four-game threshold, preserving redshirt. Neither of them played in the Outback Bowl. The other, of course, Jamari Budden. Uh, a lot of focus on what Jonathan Sutherland is going to do as a starting linebacker here as a six-year senior after making that full transition from the safety spot. Um, but Jamari Budden's a name that, that a lot of people have been poking around about this offseason. They want to know more about his development, and we got face-to-face with him. Well, you did. We put you on the Detroit area, B, because he's also <laughs> out of that out of that city. So tell us, uh, with, with Jamari Budden, um, you know, kind of what stood out. Uh, and, and I know he's the guy that was just ferocious in the way he approached the game as a senior uh, in high school at Belleville. Yeah,
1: he. Um, you know, I asked him about I, in the Blue White game. We saw him at both uh, outside linebacker spots, moving around the defense. And he said that he he thinks he has the flexibility um, to play both spots, um, the Sam and the Will. Uh, Kobe King described him as a rangy uh, linebacker with with kind of the the athleticism to make some plays in space. But um, one thing that I talked, I asked some of these guys who redshirted last year about was whether it was difficult at all for them to kind of have to sit, um, that first year, obviously as, as seniors in high school, they're a lot of these players, you know, they're the guy, they're the star, um, they're, you know, everything on their team runs through them. And then coming to college, you kind of have to make that transition. And all of them said that it was pretty easy, uh, for them to kind of take the step back and to, they kind of knew what they were there to do. And Jamari Budden was no different. Um, he gave a lot of credit to Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucetta um, as two guys that he had the opportunity to watch and, and sit behind, and um, he said that kind of looking at um, the consistency and the hard work uh, that he saw them, he saw from them how they carried themselves around the facility, um, and the fact that those are two guys who are in the NFL now, are with, are on NFL rosters, um, kind of helped provide a, a bit of a blueprint on you know why he's at Penn State what he's trying to accomplish and kind of the the roadmap that he can follow to get there.
0: You talked about guys taking a step back last year. How about some guys who didn't have a senior season because of COVID? And I spoke with a couple of them uh, who are really some of the more marquee names from this group at this stage in their career. That's Christian Veyu, uh, the quarterback and, and of course, offensive lineman Landon Tangwall, top-rated member of this 2021 recruiting class. Took him a while to get involved in game action late last year, but ultimately he got some run. We saw quite a bit of Tangwall over at the guard spot. We saw some of him at tackle as a freshman and now really Locked in, trying to, to, to land that left guard starting position. Um, by the way, had, had a gash uh, kind of on his face. I know some people were asking about that. We have uh, some some video content, some photo content up at lines 247com I love the way he responded because he was asked a few times about it. He said, we don't talk about injuries. But he said, yeah, the fact that he's showing his face w- with that kind of a gash suggests he's okay. But, uh, you know, again, Landon Tang, may be the kind of guy who go off, climb mountain, and he try to find a bear. Wrestle it down, and then and then head back to practice. So I'm just going to speculate on that one for a while. Uh, but Landon Tangma is didn't have a senior season because COVID wiped it out. Last year he shows up, uh, a guy who was really in a lot of ways because of uh, some personal training that he had and, and going back really his entire high school career, really built to show up to campus and try to compete and push for, for a role. Um, it ultimately didn't get on the field. It was you know, Eric Wilson uh, starting up at, at guard, and uh, you saw at the tackle position Rasheed Walker entrenched there and and uh, Caden Wallace on the right side, and Bryce Eftner was was the plan B for, for much of the season before he was unavailable. And I think right now when you kind of look at, at – how much can the ceiling rise for Penn State is, well, can Landon Tengwell, who by the way, looks the part right now in every bit of uh, that you'd asked for with a former blue chip kind of guy and, and a guy that you project maybe in a high level NFL prospect, he's right where you'd want to possibly see him here in year two. If he can go out and be the kind of player that we've been talking about him being, and I think he's very confident that he is that guy and he's going to be him right now. And you're talking about a stalwart on the left side of your line. I really like what Olu Fashano can bring. Will he be better than Rasheed Walker from day one? Will he be as good as Rasheed Walker from day one? We don't know. We won't know. And we got to get through September before we can really start to to credit Olu Fashano with being that, you know, that, that next – Big-time left tackle that Penn State's looking for. But I love the way it's coming together on the left side of the line. Landon, Olu have really good chemistry at this point as well. They were able to build a lot of that last December. And I think what Tengwall seems to be really encouraged by uh, right now is is just the fact that he says he, he now knows what he didn't know when he showed up to campus. And this is a guy who knew a lot. And so for him to say he kind of was in the deep end and thrown in the deep end last spring and had to play catch-up, that speaks volumes because I've really not encountered many offensive linemen who from a technical standpoint have done as much as they possibly could to put themselves in a position to show up on a campus and be ready for it. But he also said, you know, got the carpet pulled out from underneath him when you took all of his senior year away. And, you know, he's showing up now uh, in the preseason camp two years removed from really getting that extensive game action.
1: Yeah. I think that that's kind of a, an element that the the further we get away from it, we kind of forget a little bit um, that, these guys, some of these guys didn't have that 2020 season. And then you redshirt for a year that that's a lot of time between reps. And obviously Penn State likes to talk about, um, you know, practice being really competitive, that it's good on good. We heard some of the freshmen talk about getting thrown in the deep end with some juniors and seniors uh, in that situation. But you can't replace the game reps. Um, and I think that the fact that we saw Tangwell acquit himself well. Uh, late in the season when he got kind of forced into action there. I think that that bodes well. And I also think that it, it bodes well for the quarterback um, Christian Vayu, who I know that you talked to for a while. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very curious as to as to what your impression of him was and kind of how he talked about, I guess, navigating um, that situation for himself.
0: Yeah, again, these were two guys in Landon and Christian who we were fortunate enough to have on the podcast, just uh, within 48, 72 hours of them packing up and moving to campus in January of 2021. So, you know, still kind of, you know, the the personalities haven't changed all that much. I think the motivation is still in place with Christian. um, uh, we were talking to him before he enrolled, and, and that was before Drew, Drew Aller's recruitments took off. So a big question was, you know, how is he handling the arrival of those two freshmen, particularly the, the guy who was evaluated by our site as the number one quarterback in the country? And just says, hey, you come to a program like Penn State, you should expect the next class to feature some studs. And uh, and and they, they, they did a really good job following up, and, and they're trying to stack another class with a top 24-7 talent in Marcus Stokes. But I think there is such an interesting thing here because Christian Veiu helped by the fact that he enrolled in January has really need, been forced to grow up pretty quick. He's got Sean Clifford, which is a great kind of buffer for him and a sounding board for him. And it sounds like he's uh, hanging out with the Clifford brothers and kind of an extension of the Clifford brothers right now, away from team facilities. And I, I think that's been really beneficial to his growth as a prospect, especially since he didn't have those game reps as a senior, being able to watch how Sean Clifford handles himself. And, and and you know say what you will about Sean Clifford's game by game by game performance he's a guy who was bought in at trying to get the offense where it needs to go. And, and he's, he's, putting in that kind of effort. So uh, Christian value kind of same beat of the drum in, in that regard. I think where he needs to answer some bells still is uh, you know, when he gets in crunch time moments, we have no idea what that's going to look like. There were some dicey moments again against Rutgers. There's no doubt about it, especially when you were down like 20% of your roster, but Really, Rutgers didn't do much to threaten you and make you feel scared at any point in that game. So by the time he was involved against Arkansas, things had really gone awry for the offensive plan. It felt like that game was away. It was hard to really judge that. So I don't know when we're going to see it. Um, You know, I I think if things go according to plan for Mike Gersuch, you you won't see Christian Veyud, you know, handling uh, an early two-minute drill late in the game in September because he hopes Sean Clifford is healthy and available and performing well. But that's the next step in, in learning about Christian Valle. But within everything he can control, I think he's answered the bells. He's stepped up, he's added about 12 pounds to his frame, six foot four. He'll probably enter the season over 210 pounds. Meanwhile, his 40-yard dash time is dropping from you know mid four seven range down to a four-six. He's trying to get into the four fives, maybe there. So this kid has some wheels. He flashed a little bit of that against Rutgers, but I think he wants to really be able to lean on his ability as a passer. And I've continued to say it, maybe the most overlooked guy on the roster at this point because of what they brought in this past year and how much of a lightning rod the guy ahead of him is and Sean Clifford. But here's the stance at quarterback. You got a six-year senior. No matter what happens this year, this is the finale for Sean Clifford. You got three guys with freshman eligibility trying to do everything they can right now to be next man up behind Sean Clifford going into the season and be next man up when Sean Clifford gets out of campus next winter.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting picture there. And I think that what we've heard about Christian's demeanor um, I think makes him very well suited for it too. I think that a lot of guys uh, in the spring would refer to him as kind of the, the cool, calm, collected. Um, Harrison Wallace said that Christian is, is very cool and humble. And I think the way that, that Wallace described him is that there's, he knows how he wants to be and there's a way that he wants to be as a player. And that's kind of what he's working towards that, He has a very, I think, distinct goal um, in mind, and that's kind of what everything is pointing to uh, for him.
0: One thing else I wanted to address with with Veyo, he does seem to be kind of ascending into a leadership role. Your ceiling is going to be capped in that growth when you have Sean Clifford in your position room because of the presence that he is on this roster for this program right now. But it's good to see qb2 at least for now qb2 developing that kind of sense they've had that in the past they lacked it last year at this time and kind of having a presence beyond the starting position i think right now they have a presence at least too deep right now at quarterback we'll see how drew and Bo come along in august And, and by the way from a leadership perspective i'm also really curious to see assuming he starts accruing some game reps and some starts what Landon Tangwall can maybe do to the culture in that offensive line room. I don't think he's going to blow it up and, and, and reinvent the wheel or anything, but a Phil Troutwine, you know, this was reinforced by Landon Tangwall. He's a relatively soft-spoken guy. When he wants to get his message across, he explains it. He takes his time and he speaks it. He doesn't yell it. Uh, and and Tangwall says he loves that approach. But I think in, you talk about uh, Fashano, Caden Wallace, Juice Scruggs, all these guys, you hear the strides are being made, but I think when you ask people about their personalities, it's more lead by example. It's more they will step up and speak when they need to. Lennon Tengwall has a lot of innate traits that he's the guy when the going gets rough on the sideline during practice. Maybe he says some things that are uncomfortable, and maybe he he owns it and he lives with it. But some things that need to be said, I don't know if they'll get to that point, and I don't know if they've gotten to that point. He's somebody though I circle, and I don't know personality of Hunter Norzat at this point who just came in from Cornell. But he's a little bit of a different demeanor, and that's really been the case with him since Penn State offered him as a freshman in high school.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely a, an element to watch. I mean, I don't think you would necessarily describe the the personalities of, of Juice Scruggs or Caden Wallace, um, or even the the limited time we've had with Olu as kind of the, the alpha, um, I guess, in the room. And I think that if Tangwall can bring that, I think that that would kind of be a a good a good addition maybe bring some of that kind of nasty edge um, that that he, you hear guys talk about how they want to play um, up front and I think that he's someone who um, you know even though he's only a redshirt freshman still really young there's there's a really big opportunity for him this year to really assert himself and make his imprint um,
0: on this offensive line and, and on this team Again, yeah, we got some video up that includes Tengwall. If you want to see uh, that that lovely face for yourself, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. T- again, credit to him for, for showing up, and and he's he's always great to deal with. I hope we get Landon Tengwall uh, five times a year moving forward for the rest of his Penn State career for media access. But Daniel, I just want to reiterate, we we have we're not going to get to it all here on the show, but we've been trying to as you and I and Mark go through content for stories we're working on and different content pieces, dropping as many notes from the uh, from the event on Wednesday as we possibly can over at Lions24 seven.com online's pride message board. Uh, we've got a thread going there. If you have some questions about this group, we'll be happy to, to chime in there with our subscribers, but let's continue the conversation here um, with the wide receiver. unit. we just talked about offensive line, a lot of conversation there. There's less pressing. Uh, I, I, I guess, uh, I guess there's less pressure on the wide receiver room to produce new contributors right now. you got Mitchell Tinsley coming in. It, it kind of helps you out, buys you some time for some younger talent. Malik Mega a year ahead of these players. But Harrison Walls, to me, I'm, I'm kind of bunching him up with Mega in that there's so much athleticism in play here where it doesn't need to come all together for you. If it can come like 70% of the way in year two, you could really go out there and do some damage with this offense.
1: Yeah, he kind of teased it in the the blue-white game or scrimmage a little bit where he had that jump ball um, in the end zone that he pulled in, um, when he was asked for kind of a the the scouting report uh, on himself yesterday, he said that he's fast, he's a jump ball catcher, he's a deep threat, but he can also you know catch the slants, catch the digs, go over the middle, um, kind of do do whatever he needs to um, in the offense. And he was kind of someone who was interesting to talk to about his physical development um, because when he came in, we we all saw the basketball highlights. He can jump out of a gym. Um, you know, we saw kind of the the raw skills that's there and it's kind of the, the development and the refinement. Um, I think that he said he's up about 10 pounds to about, I think, around 195. Uh, he said he was timed in the 40 uh, a couple weeks ago and ran a 4-4, um, which with Jahan Dotson leaving, you need to get more speed onto the field. And I think Wallace is someone who can do that. So I think that he's someone who was you know, pretty, he was pretty soft-spoken, but I think that you could kind of see the focus that's there. And even though Mitchell Tinsley came in, even though Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith are back, I think that he knows that there's kind of an opportunity for him to get onto the field um, that to kind of make this wide receiver rotation uh, a little deeper because last year, it, it didn't really go beyond those top three, but with Tinsley in the mix, Mega potentially taking a step forward and now Wallace, maybe we can see more variety um, on the field at wide receiver.
0: Yeah, the last couple of seasons, we've definitely seen the more spreading of a of volume of, of, of production of big playability across that starting unit for the receiver group. But when you got to go beyond that, it, it has not been there. And I think James Franklin alluded to that as much coming out of spring ball at the blue white game press conference and said, they really feel like they're in a position to construct it too deep in a way they had not been able to do at receiver. We'll see how Liam Clifford is going to factor into that competition. He's a guy that remains very physically impressive. You know, you, you got to look at him last year, you know, and and, and that's no surprise considering uh, he's a professional trainer now with his brother. And that, that's part of their business plan. And he's got a lot going on with the NIL business, the limitless with, with his brother, which is really cool for them to be doing. Um, but I know he wants to catch a pass in the game from Sean. And that that is something that he's always wanted to do. They didn't think it would ever be possible. He was in eighth grade when Sean Clifford was uh, leading St. Xavier to a championship as a senior. Um, And then by the time Liam Clifford was breaking records at St. Xavier as a receiver, uh, Sean was supposed to be moving on. And of course, COVID rolls into town. Everyone gets this extra eligibility. Somewhat surprisingly, Sean Clifford seizes it. And now here they are in a position to maybe make something happen in Beaver stadium. But, uh, I think, you know, Sean's always been pretty hesitant when I bring up Liam, and I've done it a few times the last couple of years. I think he wants to try to treat him as best he can with all the other receivers. He's got to pay his dues. He's got to work in that rotation. And thus far, coming out of spring ball, I th- still think you're waiting for a little bit more buzz on Liam Clifford, uh, maybe being the guy who's going to push uh, for, for that rotational role. Uh, but there's a lot of names there. He's another one of them. Getting into this phase of our, of our conversation coming out of Wednesday, we're kind of into a portion of the roster that maybe we don't expect a lot of game reps coming in 2022 or maybe a lot of game impact coming this fall, but moving forward, there's intrigue. And I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the football and go over to Khalil Dinkins, who I had a chance to chat with uh, one-on-one for a while. Um, you know, there, there were crowds around certain guys. And, and as you'd expect the quarterback drew a crowd and the guys who are expected to maybe be starting this year drew a crowd and Khalil Dinkins right now, you've got to peg as the number four tight end. So kind of standing over there by himself. And it was a good chance to pick his brain a little bit and something that came up really early in that Daniel was where he was at with his position stance because big topic of conversation when he was a recruit, um, and a guy who was pegged as a four-star prospect by 24-7 sports was where do you want to put him on the football field? How is he going to help your roster most over the course of a four-year span? Um, and he talked about his recruitment, uh, coaching staffs, mentioning receiver, mentioning tight end, defensive end, linebacker, even one that talked about him playing safety in their system. Uh, and, and receiver for him was always the top of that priority list. And I think when Mother Nature uh, said, oh, tight ends, tight ends probably going to be where you want if you want to be a, a pass target. He wasn't really given an opportunity and, and presented that chance because of the offensive structure, because that kind of the way he was utilized in different roles to go out and be a highly productive pass target at the high school level. It's an asset of his game, though, that I am really, really compelled by because he's added about 20 pounds, 20 plus pounds. I think he's pushing towards 240 pounds. He showed up last year at 215 pounds. He's a six foot four guy. But he's also dropped that 40 time. He, I, I mean, I don't know if there was a technical issue with his 40 yard dash last year, but he told me yesterday that he was at 4'9 in the 40 yard dash when he got to campus last year as a freshman. Again, at about 215 pounds, now 235, 240 pound range he said that's now dropped into the four sixes. So I, I think that's something that nicely gotten cleaned up. Um, this is a guy with, with NFL pre- pedigree because of his father. Uh, and he's someone who has played all over the field and, and it doesn't sound like the door is closed on maybe that versatility still being in play. John Scott, apparently every once in a while will tell him come to the dark side. And, and I'm sure John Scott would love to add to that defensive end hall. Um, and, maybe that is still something that happens here. He's got four years of eligibility. He's a redshirt freshman right now, but clearly he's committed to trying to become a great tight end uh, at a room where the, the standard is very high. There's not a lot of pressure on his shoulders right now to produce a tight end, but I think it's a big year for Khalil Dinkins and for the Penn State coaching staff to figure out where is the ideal spot for this young man to grow and cultivate and put himself in a, in a, in a position to launch a professional career in the sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that he is in that position group where he's still the number four tight end. There's all mm-hmm. this potential that he has. Um, physically, he's very impressive. I mean, that entire room at this point is is very physically impressive, and I think that it's you know he's going to get another chance to kind of you know feel things out. It'll be interesting to see if he can get onto the field uh, in some of these non-conference games um, if they can kind of maybe carve out some, you know, a role for him, whether it's special teams or, you know, somewhere um, on the offense. But, you know, kind of uh, it was really interesting talking to you after it and kind of the fact that he was recruited at so many positions. um, He has that versatility. And, uh, you know, I think that it's good that the Penn State coaching staff is still kind of, you know, looking at, all right, where might we be able to utilize him? What could really be his best position um, but you know, I think that a lot of these guys, they, they want to have the ball in their hands and he seems like someone who is, is really looking
0: forward to that opportunity. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Someone else who we just really kind of been out of sight, out of mind is maybe the best way to put it since they enrolled. You know, Dinkins isn't a guy that that we've kind of spotlighted much at all since he got to campus because of what's going on at the position. Similarly, at cornerback, it's been a very deep group. Nothing's really changed in that department here in 2022. And Jeffrey Davis is there trying to work his way up the ladder.
1: Yeah, I I chatted with him for a little bit at at the end of the session. And, um, you know, he kind of he gave some insight on some of the other cornerbacks in the room, um, I talked to him for a while about Zaki Wheatley on uh, kind of what what he brings. But I think the one thing I talked to Jeffrey Davis about, um, I kind of asked him, you know, what what do you bring uh, to this cornerback room that that might be unique? Um, because you know, Joey Porter Jr. has the length. Um, Daquan Hardy, despite the size, is able to to play tough on the inside at the nickel. Uh, Kalen King, I think, has a lot of those intangibles, has that mental approach along with the physical skills. Um, But Jeffrey Davis Jr. said that he thinks that his speed um, is something that can be utilized in the secondary and and something that that he thinks, um, you know, can help him at the next level. And obviously he said that going up against Jahan Dotson during practice last year, having to go up against Keandre Lambert Smith and Parker Washington and and now Mitchell Tinsley um, on a regular basis is something that that has kind of helped his development come along. Um, But he said that he feels really comfortable that He's made. He's kind of made the adjustment, and that he's kind of, you know, looking forward to to kind of seeing where he can fit in um, on this defense moving forward.
0: Davis was a top 40 cornerback in the 2021 class uh, per 24 seven sports evaluation. And boy, am I glad you brought up Zaki Wheatley because I didn't. And I almost skimmed right over the safety group, which is a pretty important one because they need a new starter. They've got this spring ball standout and they've got the other, the second red shirt, uh, the, the second player who burned his red shirt last year and Jalen Reed. So you got both those guys. You were all over the defensive backfield on Wednesday. Clearly. Um, Zaki Wheatley, let's start there and then tell us what you heard from Jalen Reed, who, because of what Wheatley was able to do this spring, kind of put him and Keaton Ellis on the back burner for a lot of people, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think Mark got uh, Jalen Reed. I didn't I didn't make okay. it over to him because I was you know, talking to Zaki Wheatley. Got to spend some time with the takeaway king. Um, but, you know, obviously a lot of the conversation with Zaki Wheatley centered around those ball skills and, you know, his ability to kind of come up with the ball. Um, He said that over the course of the spring, uh, he didn't really realize how many interceptions he had. You know, he didn't he wasn't necessarily paying attention to that, but he did. It did kind of feel different. Um, He did feel like he was making plays. He did feel like he was where he was supposed to be more often. And I think that comes with the development. Um, And, you know, he credited some of the ball skills, I think, similar to a conversation we had with Jair Brown last fall. Um, about playing center field uh, on the baseball field, uh, Zaki Wheatley said he played baseball until his sophomore year of high school. Um, center fielder tracking the ball, and he played wide receiver for his whole life too. And he said, when the ball's in the air, he you know he stops thinking about whether he's playing offense or defense. That the only goal is to come down with the ball. And I think that that it sounds like that's something that really showed through um, this spring. I asked Jeffrey Davis about it, and. You know, he obviously said the ball skills are amazing and that, um, you know, he's Zaki Wheatley was making plays that that he'd never seen, you know, made before. And I kind of asked him what specifically about it. And he said that the the body control and the ability to kind of contort his body um, to get to the ball um, is something that is is what is helping Zaki Wheatley come down with these interceptions. And you look at him physically. I mean, he's long. Uh, he's listed at 6'2". Um, you know, I'm only five nine, but I kind of have a gauge for some of these things, and he feels a little bit taller than six two at this point. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how he continues to grow, how he continues to fill out um, as he goes forward, because he's he's still a young player. Um, he likes to play physical. I think he said that he needs to put on a little bit more weight um, because you know, playing safety, you dish out a couple more hits than you might do as playing cornerback, but. He's someone who seems really confident and is really looking forward to his opportunity to, you know, really work into the safety rotation.
0: Philly like Kamen and Joey Porter Jr. both have those go. You know, go go gadget arms where it's like wow, they can all of a sudden they're, they're getting their ball, even a fingertip on the ball, and being able to disrupt a, a potential big play. They, they can cover a lot of ground just with their bodies, and you're right that that ability to contort and still be able to utilize those things big deal. And by the way, KJ Winston, uh, coming into campus uh next month is another guy who just has those uh long limbs he's going to be bringing into the defensive backfield. We'll see where he ends up. Um, I, I, I sorry about putting you on the spot with Jalen Reed as I said we we covered a lot of ground Mark Brennan obviously did some of the work as well um, and he was dropping notes up on on the message board at lines 247com a a couple more names I wanted to get to um, were on the defensive line but I know you've got one more in your back pocket and that's Davon Townley he was a a late addition to the 2021 recruiting class um, a guy who really uh, came on for a lot of Big Ten programs down the stretch of that cycle Uh, basketball kind of convert um, that was early on still in his development as a football player I know personally seeing him on the practice field a bit this spring he's someone that kind of popped out in terms of their physical development um what i mean what what do you think standing toe to toe with him and getting some time to talk about his progress
1: yeah i mean standing next to him he's definitely a, a big long uh defensive end uh he said that he's put on about 30 pounds that mm-hmm. he got he got to campus at 235 he weighs 260 he's around 265 now I think the official roster has him at at 268. Um, So anytime someone's putting on that kind of weight, um, that kind of mass, I mean, it's a change. And he said that he's just being really patient with it, that he knows that when you're putting on this much muscle, when your body's changing um, this much, that it's not going to happen overnight, that he knows that the speed will come, um, that the strength will come and that he'll be able to kind of put it all together. Um, and, you know, he's, and he did say that making the adjustment to college was a little bit difficult. Um, he said that there is a lot to get used to with coming to Penn state. Uh, he said that, you know, being away from his mom was the, the biggest adjustment that, that he had to make. And, you know, over time, he's just kind of gotten used to it. Um, you know, he didn't necessarily, you know, he does have an opportunity, um, uh, at defensive end, um, depending on where he is in his development, but, I think that he's someone who kind of knows that he has a lot of work to do. He needs to do a lot of work and eventually he'll, he'll get to the point where he can maybe become a contributor, get into the rotation. But I think physically he's, he's very impressive. And I think that him and Rodney McGraw, seeing them standing on the field, um, you know, if you can get these guys, you know, at some point this year, maybe next year, another year of development onto the edge, you can have some you know, a really I guess, difficult pass rush for opposing offenses
0: to deal with. Yeah, and of course, the the name that looms in all of this kind of conversation is Deny Dennis Sutton, who who was on the podcast last week and will be on campus in just a few weeks and going to try to throw his hat in the ring there at defensive end. He's a five-star talent for a reason. Um, But Rodney McGraw was a guy that I was – I'll tell you what, um, if if, if there was one conversation I walked away saying – I didn't expect to have that conversation. It was with Rodney McGraw because he's a guy I didn't get to know too well during his recruitment process. And yesterday, really, he, he was in a place uh, personally to open up a little bit uh, about a few things, uh, about why Penn State was the right choice for him, about some some challenges in his life. And, and he really uh, opened up particularly about having a son before his sophomore year of high school. And it really wasn't a conversation that I had ever had with Rodney McGraw or anyone close with him. um, And, you know, trying to even fathom what that must be like at that age. I think he was 15 years old, just about to be 16 years old. Um, this is still, uh, you know, still something where he's a new father. And he said, that's been the biggest challenge for him is being away. Um, you know, he, he's able to see his son occasionally in person, but it's, it's daily FaceTimes. Um, you know, this isn't the first time I've come across a Penn State player who, who is a father. Um, but, but when you hear it from someone who's just a redshirt freshman and he kind of just, we're, we're so focused on, can these guys put it together as, as athletes? You don't think, can they put it together as people? at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old at this, this point. And, and in McGraw's case, I think he just turned 20 years old. And of course at six foot five, 270 pounds. You know, I'll go down that road in a second. He says athletically he is in a far different place than last year. He admitted that he didn't really know how to move laterally and and, and the way that he needed to 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 have success on the practice field much less uh, in game situations at this level of football uh got a lot uh, got away a lot i think on just pure strength uh, and, and just being able to to outclass guys as an athlete at the high school level in indiana uh, but he looked back on his decision to flip from the indiana hoosiers and join this penn state recruiting class um as a vital one for him he said he needed to change his scenery um obviously he's got uh Ties back home in Indiana. It's still an important place for him. I know he's excited to get back there for the Purdue game in September, but he says this was the best decision of his life. And he says he's had some heart-to-heart conversations with James Franklin about what he's doing right now and, and basically communicating with his son via FaceTime while trying to carve out this path as a student and as an athlete at Penn State. And Franklin is you know, trying to make it clear to him, and he feels like he is on board with this, that, When he explains years down the road to his son why he made those sacrifices and what they ultimately led to, he wants to to be able to have that validation. So a very motivated guy. Again, not somebody I think we're going to see a lot of defensively here in the 2020 season, uh, but someone to file away. And and if you're kind of wondering, are are guys getting fed up and, and do they feel like they're just practice field fodder? It's not there by any means with Ryan McGraw right now. He might be a reserve at defensive end. He might be looking at some developmental work uh, again when they get back on the practice field. But he reiterated time and time again that coming to Penn State has been the most important decision for him and the best decision for him. So that's something I just wanted to share more from a person perspective than a player perspective. And that's the beautiful thing about this kind of event. We get to peel back the curtain just a little bit and it doesn't happen all that often.
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice element uh, to kind of get to know these guys. Uh, There's a lot of conversation with Kalen King and Kobe King about their recruitment, um, whether or not they were going to you know go to the same place no matter what, um, and kind of what it's like to go to school with your brother. Um, they're still roommates, um, and they're roommates last year, they're roommates this year, and then on top of that, Jamari Budden and Jalen Reed are some other Michigan guys who were who part of this class. They were uh, four guys, uh, the Kings and Jalen Reed from Detroit, uh, Jamari Budden from Ypsilanti and Kalen King kind of described it as bringing a little bit of home, uh, with them to state college. Um, the Kings, they said that living in state college is a little bit different than living in Detroit. Um, but it's, it's a change that they've, that they've really enjoyed and that, um, you know, I think that they kind of knew for a while that they wanted to come to Penn state and, you know, now they're here and they've, are taking advantage of,
0: I think, all the opportunities that they have. Uh, one other name I wanted to get to, and he's a name that I think people should familiarize themselves with as part being part of the defensive plan for 2022, is Jordan Vandenberg. And what a unique background this guy has. And I think people are starting to hear more about it. And if you find success at Penn State, I'm sure it's going to be jammed down our throat about his background. But right now, it's still pretty fresh information. And for those who maybe haven't heard about it, he's a guy who joined Penn State last year, Late in the process, uh, came with a teammate, a quarterback out of Iowa Western Community College, uh, just wowed the hell out of the staff with the testing numbers he produced, uh, was able to really put together a a strong season of film at Iowa Western. He was at Iowa Western for nine months as a community college situation. All of a sudden, he's on Penn State's roster last year, and he's chasing down Razorbacks, an SEC opponent in the Outback Bowl. So it was a rapid rise for Jordan Vandenberg, who's going to be a factor at defensive tackle, uh, but is not all that long removed from showing up uh, on a football field and saying, what do I do next? This is a guy who moved from South Africa to the Atlanta, Georgia area at 10 years old. He started playing football in the 10th grade when he was a 5 foot 10 160 poundish receiver. By the time he finished his high school career a couple of years later, he was one of the more productive linebackers in the state of Georgia and yet nothing on the table from a college standpoint. Uh, Jordan Vandenberg actually said, "Well, he had a division 3 chance, uh, but there were no S- the, the SAT scores weren't there to get him into the division 3 school." probably the best thing that ever happened to him was not getting into that division three school. Maybe he wouldn't have lasted there long and he would have flashed, but maybe he would also be in his getting ready for his third season at a division three school right now. So couldn't do that. Iowa Western gave him a walk on shot. And now here is a Penn State. And I'll tell you what, we've talked a lot about Zayn Durant showing up and Hakeem Beeman, who, by the way, Landon Tangwall says, is the guy he is most excited to see this season in game action, is Hakeem Beeman. He said he's got Aaron Donald-like hands. So if, if any of you out there were waiting for the Hakeem Beeman buzz to start brewing again, there it is. We are kicked back off. Uh, get ready. I, I think we're going to see him back in the fold on September 1st. But, Daniel, I, I think right now at defensive tackle, this is a guy in Jordan Vandenberg. You've seen him at practice motor 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 all the cliches you want to apply to the situation but it's accurate because you watch this guy and he just goes and goes and goes and that's going to get you somewhere on the practice field because clearly he has the athletic intangibles that Penn State is looking for uh, at a at a defensive tackle profile
1: yeah I, I think when you look back at the Outback Bowl and, and some of the younger guys who who got extended chances there with all of the opt-outs I think that uh, I think Jordan Vandenberg I think. As time goes on, I think he'll be the one who probably previewed the most um, of what he can offer. Um, it, it really did feel like there are a couple series during that game where he was just everywhere, um, constantly in the backfield. And, you know, I think that when you look at him physically, kind of like Zane Durant, they're built, I think, a little differently um but at the same time that explosiveness is there that athleticism is there and i think that it'll be really interesting and really curious to see how that plays against some of these these big 10 offensive lines and um if they can bring something a little bit different and maybe how you know how can jordan vandenberg complement hakeem beeman um how can these guys complement pj Mustafer? um i think that kind of putting the puzzle pieces together on that defensive line especially in, in interior There's a lot of options and Jordan Vandenberg is one that maybe slides a little bit more under the radar, considering that last summer he was just kind of here um, all of a sudden and he's not someone who had that you know, the three-year recruitment where we could all
0: familiarize ourselves with him. I don't think, I don't know if he did, I don't know if he did more than two interviews. I think Brian <laughs> Doan got him. I mean, this guy was like at Iowa Western, all of a sudden surfacing with a couple offers. And then it's like, now I'm enrolled at Penn State and there's no media access. And it was like, well, okay. So I was super excited to, I like hustled over to him on Wednesday because he was the guy I wanted to get to get to know a little bit better. And I've heard so many strong things from within the building and from some of his teammates about how he has kind of hit the ground running from a really interesting background. And it's not easy to make that leap for guys who were superstars and coveted prospects to show up to, to campus and be ready. This is a really interesting thing playing out. And, and another cool aspect of this, and, and you know, well, cause you were trying to document eligibility for this roster this week. <laughs> he's still technically a freshman because his community college experience was under that COVID umbrella last year. He didn't play enough games to red shirt. So he's like, Still a freshman. I mean, I, I don't know how old he. might be twenty years old, but you, you can get a lot of football out of this guy. I don't know how long he'll be at Penn State, but I, I think starting this year, he's going to be a, a, a player that not only you know makes some splash moments for them defensively, but that fans are going to actually just gravitate towards and and love.
1: Yeah, his COVID time warp was one of the more interesting ones, going from yes. a sophomore to a redshirt freshman, but that means he's got more time to develop more time to more time to play football at Penn state. And I think given kind of what we've seen, I think that can
0: only be good for this defense. All right, Daniel, we'll wrap up with a five-star mailbag. Happy to have you on for this one. Uh, I got a few recruiting notes before we get out of here, but before you get out of here, here's our question. How many of Penn State's May enrollees will become consistent contributors this season? And just to refresh everybody's memory, uh, there were six of those early enrollees, Christian Driver and Kim Miller, landing on the roster initially as cornerbacks. We had talked about them having versatility in play as guys in the secondary. Hunter Norzad makes his long-awaited arrival uh, after graduating from Cornell with an engineering degree, now going to be competing to be a starter on the offensive front for Penn State. Tyler Johnson becomes the fourth new addition to the wide receiver room this year. Uh, and then you've got Alex Paquetta coming in and, and the guy that we think the door is wide open for uh, to go out and compete at punter. And the last name here is the, the the top prize at offensive line in Pennsylvania, Drew Shelton, a really impressive tackle prospect uh, who got to campus just last week. So six guys. The question is consistent contributors. I think we can both say that means burning red shirt at the very least. Um, where do you stand on this one?
1: Yeah, I think the the two that jumped out to me are Alex Paquetta and Hunter Norzad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paquetta competing with Barney Amore and Gabe Nuosu for for the punting job. I think that he comes in with the pedigree uh, and the ability to step in and, and take that job this fall. And then we know that Penn State needs help uh, on the offensive line, and there's a reason they're bringing in Hunter Norzad as a transfer. And so I think that he'll be in the mix there uh, to compete for a starting job. Um, and then the two wildcards, are the defensive backs. I think Cam Miller and Christian Driver, um, you know, we've heard good things about their versatility. Uh, We saw last year, Penn State rotate some younger defensive backs through um, and, and get them onto the field as freshmen. And so I think depending on how things shake out, I think that those are guys that we could see on special teams or, you know, even in certain defensive situations.
0: Yeah, it doesn't always require a a too deep defensive role. We've seen guys just become valuable enough on on special teams and and, uh, valuable enough as backups on defense to validate moving past those four games. But we know the Penn State staff overall, you know, want to be cautious (laughs) with the eligibility stance, especially if it's a guy who's really on that margin. Um, I think I'm going to go with three uh, as my guess here. I think Drew Shelton, um, you know, as we project this class out in the next three, four years. I mean, he's near the top of my list as guys who could come out the other end of this and and have immediate major paydays at the NFL level. But in terms of impacting this team at the tackle position right now in 2022 – I think there's a red shirt in his future. I'd be surprised otherwise. Um, and Hunter Norzad, you don't recruit a guy like this at this point in his career after graduation uh, to come in and be a backup. And and so you, you, you've you been selling him the opportunity to come in and be a starter. Uh, he'll get that chance. It's going to have to be earned. Um, and, and maybe it doesn't happen by September 1st. And maybe we see a kind of a competition in play in through the opener and in through September, something that we kind of saw in place last year. Um, and, and to me, I think Alex Paquetta, who, by the way, has the blessing of Blake Gillikin, which carries a lot of weight around here at the punter position, um, I think he's going to be in a really good spot. No disrespect to the two walk-ons who, who came in and, and, and competed and worked hard this spring um, and Barney and Gabe, but to me, uh, Alex Paquetta just kind of seeing what he was able to accomplish uh, at the high school level and, and them getting on him so early, prioritizing getting him in this class I think he's got a good position to come in a good landing spot. And I'm curious if he can be a factor in uh, maybe on kickoffs as well. he has some success in that area at the prep level. So that's where my stance is. I think Tyler Johnson, we've we talked about it. there's just too many names at wide receiver right now. And he's coming in after three guys already got to campus in January, Anthony Ivy, by the way, is still coming to campus in June. Um, but I think three's the number there. So half of these may guys, um, if you get more than that, I, I, you should be thrilled, but we talked about it before 12 more players, Daniel coming in June. So, There are guys that are not listed on this roster yet that are going to be factors come September.
1: Yeah. We we talked about how this class of 2021 was, was a bit of a smaller group, uh, but this, this class of 2022, it's a lot to keep track of at this point. A large bandwagon.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you throw in the transfers and Damian Robinson is still heading to campus. Uh, th- there's a lot to go through in terms of newcomers. Um, Daniel, always great having you. It's becoming more consistent. I like that. We'll talk to you real soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And, of course, uh, be sure to follow all Daniel's coverage uh, from coming out of this uh, class of 2021 media day and a lot more over at Lions247.com. All right. Few items on the recruiting trail to get to, and, and I just want to set the stage by saying next week, going to be a huge week at lines247.com here on the podcast in terms of recruiting and ramping up for the first prospect camp um, that we're going to be able to cover, I think, since three years ago, 2019. Um, so it, it's been a long time. We're excited to get eyeballs on that. We've got some uh, friends from the 24-7 Sports Network with that we think are going to be popping up on campus here during, during prospect camp season at Penn State that to help with the evaluation and, and to help kind of get eyeballs on the field. A really impressive showcase coming our way on June 4th, which is next Saturday. Going to be about 75 players. And we're talking about top target kind of players. Um, uh, Some of them have already confirmed their attendance. A couple notable players that I I kind of alluded to last episode Sid Caba, Jordan Hall, lineman from the Columbus Kip School. Kaba is a guy with a few Power Five offers: uh, Duke, West Virginia, among them, Michigan as well. Jordan Hall, though six foot eight, three hundred and forty pounds; those measurements are legit. People, uh, Penn State's his first Power Five offer. The film from last year uh, did not warrant a strong rating from from twenty four seven Sports. But the raw data and, and the valid data on this young man at that position on the offensive front, uh, it, it, it garners a long look. And clearly the Nittany Lions want to take a longer look at presenting that offer. They're going to get both Kaba. And Jordan Hall on campus uh, for that June 4th camp. Uh, I was told that by Kaba, uh, who is a six foot three, 260 pound defensive tackle uh, who wants to come out. And what he told me is say he's the next big thing uh, from Columbus, Ohio. So he wants to do that out in, in Happy Valley for a prospect camp. Uh, we're gonna have a full preview of that. Uh, I think I can also tease this now. Our full-time recruiting reporter will be joining the uh, the group next week. Uh, really excited for that. It's one that we've been counting down the days for and kind of just waiting and waiting, and here he comes, and we're excited for that. Um, Going to round out our, our our full-time staff here at lions247.com. You'll hear from him on the podcast. You'll hear from Brian Doan on the podcast next week, and that'll be good because I know he wants to chime in a little bit on Roddy Gallagher, who announced his commitment to West Virginia this week, uh, considered the top wide receiver prospect in the state of Pennsylvania. 30 minute drive uh, to West Virginia, I think that's something that people are are starting to to pick up a little bit as they see kind of the ramifications of this recruitment very close to Morgantown. um, And there's been a lot of conversation on our message boards about the different dynamics that were in play with this recruitment, but Notre Dame Penn State ultimately uh, seen one of their priority targets at receiver uh, end up with the West Virginia Mountaineers and and also at receiver as Penn State kind of sorts their options. Johnny Shakir, of course, joined the class this month. You heard from Bill Belton, his offensive coordinator at Winslow Township on our last episode. Looking for other help there? Keep an eye on another Texas wide receiver. We've seen them sign Omari Evans last cycle. A couple cycles ago was Parker Washington, who's gone on to have a lot of success. Next name to know at receiver down there in the Lone Star State, Anthony Evans, uh, told me he will use an official visit at Penn State in June. Still working on the exact date there. Looks like it's going to be late June. Uh, This is a guy who's one of the faster football talents in the state of Texas, and that's saying something. Um, He didn't exactly light it up in terms of production last year as a receiver, but I think you watch the film. You see what he did on the track this spring. There's a lot to like there. He's also got official visits for June locked into Oklahoma and Georgia. Look, I could go on and on about recruiting a lot of it on lines 247com to read through in the coming days. Again, next week, got a lot going on at the site as well. That's going to be it for now for our producer, Lance Glenn, for my colleague, Daniel Gallen. Thanks to Penn State for welcoming us back to the practice field. Thanks to that class of 2021 for giving us some thoughts about their progression and some of their personal development. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.